This grid right here, this picture is not in your book. And I got it because I wanted you to understand the stages of change that people go through and how we promote programs that will be most successful. You know, there are topic awareness, there are um, promotional elements that we use to wake people up who are asleep. And you know the stages of change. Um, the, the first one is pre-contemplative, where people are just clueless that they're involved with at a risk at all. They're, you had it yesterday. Okay, so you got that from Lily. Pre-contemplative, contemplative, planning, action, maintenance, and so forth. This grid will show you what pre-contemplative is, and they're calling it status quo, okay? Status quo is just going along like I always go. The next one is the area of building awareness, which is that contemplative area where I'm thinking now that I may be at risk, I'm thinking I may be at risk. Um, I'm wondering, the next one is uh, preparing or planning. They're gonna get involved. They're putting their life together. They're getting ready for change. They've been thinking about it. They're signing up. They're getting ready. And then action phases, they're involved in programs that are actively changing their behavior and they're instituting new ways of thinking. And there's a lot of going back and forth. And then, of course, they uh, finish and the maintenance program comes in. Or if Prochaska and DiClemente, sometimes you'll see it's termination. Uh, sometimes you'll see it as relapse, depending on how successful people are after they've maintained their, their health. This part is important because 90%, well, 90% of our activity is consumed by action in health ministry. And the sad truth is that only about 10 to 12% of the people at any given time are ready for action. So I want you to gather your thoughts about this. We're doing 90% of our work in an area where people are less prepared for. That's also when you see the 60 come the first night and down to 40, 30. You know, it, it drops quickly because they're not ready for change. Think about preparation and what we need to do in terms of getting people ready to change because the vast majority of them are back here in status quo building awareness and, and maybe preparing. So imagine if we spent more time there. How many more would be successful coming through our programs? And we do this, we do this by um, bulletins. We prepare people by waking them up with information. That's where we use our awareness activities, which is bulletins and flyers and brochures. We can use self-assessments, which are the tools that WellSource has put out. They've got paper tools that have the self-assessment guide on the front and the explanation of the scores on the back. It's a paper tool that you can hand out at church and people take it, they see, oh, I didn't know I was at risk. I thought I was okay, I didn't know. And they take that home with them. You don't have to keep records or anything. But it helps wake them up. Now suddenly they're not status quo anymore. Suddenly they're thinking and they may move into knowing, well, what can I do to fix this? Oh, you're having a program in five weeks. Oh, oh, so then they, you prepare them a little better. Media and announcements, people are visual. So if you're in a church, you want to use your screen, you want to use your artist to create these visuals, or you want to procure them from other people who've already designed them, make it easy for yourself. And topic presentations come into play where people are thinking about it. So your contemplators, your planners, are probably going to come to your topic presentations. You know the phrase, well, we had this program, and so-and-so, who's as big as a house, didn't come. And of course, we had it for them. We had it for all these people. They don't come. Well, they're pre-contemplators. They're not going to come. 
So don't feel condemnatory about that. They're in another place. And there's great sorrow. When you see people with great problems, there's great sorrow, great woundedness there. And that root cause may need to be cared for before they can ever deal with the other uh, sometimes. Personal stories of people and their success and their journey of difficulty and success are part of what you implement in getting people prepared for your lifestyle change program. This preparatory phase will bring us more success when we do the hard work and the dedicated work of lifestyle change. Um, the lifestyle change programs come into that action phase, and I would say that I would never have a lifestyle change program without a small group support as part of it. People need to be able to talk about their difficulties. It is not just about giving them information. It's about how they're struggling to weave it into their lives, and small group support is part of that. Yes, so it's a real cycle. It's where really people are. We don't need to condemn them. We just need to understand this is why they're walking out the door. And the other piece is, what do I need to do um, to help them see better? Uh, and sometimes we'll be successful and sometimes not. But I would tell you that most people are visual learners. And um, this promotion and using visual arts and using the uh, human story is huge in terms of helping people understand that this could be um, for them. One of my friends at work was very large, probably 200, 300 pounds overweight. And a uh, very nice lady, though, and uh, one day she came, came into my office and she said, I'm going to the doctor today. And I said, well, why? What's wrong? What happened? And she said, well, over the weekend, I went into my mother's house. I go to take care of her, and, and I found her on the bathroom floor dead. And as I was looking at her, I saw myself. And I realized, if I don't do something, I'm going to be just like my mother. So sometimes uh, you'll see that people will have an event that's catastrophic and it's terrible. We would hope that that wouldn't be the way people wake up. But oftentimes, an event will occur. A friend will get breast cancer, a cousin, an uncle, an aunt. Something will happen that will wake them up. And it may also be the personal story at the front. So I would always encourage you, think about this plan Think about what you're doing to promote well in advance so people can plan for changing. And then the, having the small group support is critical. Now, helping people learn how to be small group facilitators is important. You don't have to have a degree. You're not going to be psychoanalyzing anybody. You're not going to be giving advice. But how you take laymen and prepare them to be socially warm, uh, not shoulding on people. Do you know what I mean by shoulding? Well, you should be doing this. You should have done that. If you only followed my advice, da, da, da. Not that way. But helping people to be friendly around the table, facilitating the comments of the week. What happened this week? Share what your story was. Share what your challenges were. Share what was troubling to you. All of that preparation for small group facilitator training can be right here while you're busy promoting getting ready for the future. So we need to have our health ministry team of who would like to be a small group facilitator, which would be you'd go to the four, you know, you'd be the one for one of the four support groups that we have while we have our class. These are your roles. This is what you do. You know, you might be involved in doing the measurements for the week. You might be involved with sitting at the table, listening to the stories. And if you find a person's having a particular problem, you would direct them to the leader of the class. You wouldn't have to correct them. You direct them to the leader of the class. And we teach people then how to be supportive in a group environment. So they take in information, and they work through it, and they have a support of a small group while they're going through that. 
I think sometimes we think we just give people info and they'll be able to figure it out. And of course, they have trouble. I don't, but it's going to be on the website. All these slides will be on the website. North American Division Health Ministries website um, is going to be putting up all of these different talks. So you'll see it up there. And if um, you want me to send it to you directly, I have a sign-up sheet here. Um, you just have to t uh, print your name so I can read it and tell me what you want me to send you. Um, and I have to be able to understand your writing. Otherwise, I won't be successful. Um, this slide will be the overlay for uh, the stages of change and preparation for programs. Do you have a good recommendation for a self-assessment? Yes. The self-assessments that I use are from WellSource, and they have a host of them. Um, you can buy them at the table out there. They sell them in packages of 100 for 20 or $25, so they're cheap enough. Um, and I use those because they're cheap, affordable. You give them out to an audience, they um, are able to understand uh, what their scores mean, and they're an, an awakening tool, as well as helping them be able to get ready to come to your program. I think WellSource has done that. Over time, they've used many of these with the corporate wellness programs that they've used for years. Well, it depends on what you want to do. Um, you're talking to a person who believes that health expos um, and health fairs are good for awareness, but you can't really measure what happened. So if you're giving the, the self-assessment out as an awareness tool, and that's all you're going to do is boost awareness, and you don't really know to what level, um, that's fine. I would use them there, too. A health risk appraisal, however, is far more in-depth a comprehensive health risk appraisal usually involves a lifestyle questionnaire that's been validated. It usually involves lab values and so forth. There's usually computerized processing, and there's usually a health educator that has to instruct on what it means along with the report. We did this um, one time. Um, we had a comprehensive fair, like you would call an expo now. We included five churches in it because oftentimes fairs take a lot of time to do, but you don't get a lot of participation. And people say, well, I've been there before. I got my bag last year. I got my pen. I got my brochures. I don't need to go again, you know. But we had this health fair. Um, it was a huge deal. If you're going to do fairs, do them holistically. Provide things for people, spiritual, physical, mental, emotional, and, and social health. And divide, uh, have those areas provided for kids and young families, school-age kids, teens, adults, seniors, and elderly. That's a lot of work. Um, don't just go and grab anybody and say you've had a health fair because you've got a couple of companies that want to volunteer and hand out their brochures. Um, it's a comprehensive health fair. And then you can do a lifestyle um, appraisal, health risk appraisal, if you will. We did. And that takes a lot of partners. It takes a lot of people. We had to have physicians and health educators to explain the results to folks. It was a very good learning tool. And hopefully, you would use that as a way of saying now, during the year, these are the dates and here are the programs that we're going to be offering. Sign up now, because if you have a risk, this program will help you. I would only use it to lead to something bigger. Otherwise, health fairs take a lot of time and energy. And here's the mindset of your health ministry team. I only have so much time to give to the church. I already gave it to your health fair. And you want them to come and help you with the lifestyle change programs and participate in those. And they've already spent their wad on the health fair. 
So you determine which is most. You count the costs of human resources. They can only give you so much time. If awareness and assessment is what you want uh, and waking people up out of the health fair, great. Do it very well. Do it really well. Document everything you can. And realize then that if you exhaust too many people, and health fairs that are really well are put together over six months to a year if you have lots and lots of managed um, participants and a managed approach. Um, or do you want people to uh, be participating with you on two major lifestyle change events for the year? So you have to kind of weigh that and see what people are able to do and uh, what you're expecting. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, developing the plan, we just talked about self-assessment tools. Health risk appraisals, I wouldn't have a health risk appraisal if you have a health ministry team that's beginning. And I wouldn't do it unless I had a faith community nurse in my church who could help me manage the confidential issues and that type of thing. Uh, there's a lot of details to a health risk appraisal and you need a whole approach that makes that um, valuable. Um, I would use the health nuggets, the bulletin inserts, the windows on ministry areas for promoting the skits, all the things that we talked about up there on the board. Topic presentations are good for people who are planning and thinking about health change. They're not changing yet. They're just thinking about it. So the people who are thinking will come to a 30, 40, 50 minute talk and it usually doesn't change behavior. It's not meant to. It's meant to give them the parameters of the disease or the parameters of the health issue and help people become aware of some of the different features involved in it. It does not provide change. So having a plethora of a lot of talks will not usually promote change. It will spark awareness and promote and help people decide they want to change. So topic presentations are good for awareness building. Small group presentations where you go to small, um, small group ministries. I think uh, Creation Health works out that way as a plan for that you can use it in small groups. Use the National Health Observance Days. Did you know that if you type in Google National Health Observances, up will come all the months of the year with all of the dates that all these different state or national agencies on health have as the American <coughs> Heart Day or uh, you know, breast cancer awareness. So every month we have national days of emphasis. And when you click in there, you can get all kinds of materials that they've already developed. They've got the flyers, they've got the promotional details, they've got the videos, they've got the packages for you to use. So you want to be thinking as you're planning, what should we do? And you may want to gear your activities to the month of the year where the, the nation is focused on some of these areas. You'll have the local agencies want to help you with that. So that's a good thing. Website promotions, keep your thoughts before your people at all times. So on the website, your health ministry should have a window and you should be able to keep that data going before people and have incentives for them to join. If you join today, you get $10 off the cost of your book, you know, something like that. So people feel incentivized to get started with their plan. I would encourage you to think about having fun with health. And here in Florida, we've had several churches that joined together in interchurch competitions across town. And they ended up losing a thousand pounds between the two of them. One church um, bouncing against the other church. Um, they had fun together. They played together. They played separately. They measured themselves separately. Their pastors got involved with coming and speaking at the different churches, stimulating the people to get involved with a competition. So, you know, we've had in-step for life here. 
And um, we've been recording our steps, and we've walked over a million um, miles and so forth. Those are the kind of things you can have fun with. And I would encourage you to do that. Uh, of course, if you have interfaith competitions, if you've got five churches on your block and you're the first Adventist church, I would go on and, and work with all the pastors that are there and say, let's do this. You know, Let's join together to help our people become whole. Let's do a campaign. Let's have fun with it. We could have a big block party. I mean, you want the people who are... Um, our high social folks who are your promoters to be involved in your health ministry team because they know how to have a party and how to stimulate fun. Most of us, if we're in the other side of our personality, we're very stable and secure and we follow the rules and that's a whole different personality. And we, we might not think that parties and socializing would be much fun or very engaging. That's why you need those personalities on your team. They'll be the ones to stimulate uh, and develop your promotion. When you're looking at what the North American Division is doing, you want to go to our website, NorthAmericanDivisionHealthMinistries.org. We're going to have a lot of materials for you, resources on there. We have a newsletter that we send out every month that will also help you with resources and, and help you get started. And then, of course, because you're going to be involved in your community, you'll see the local promotions that are going on. Hook up with those local com uh, promotions so that you're part of the community and you can begin. Uh, to join in and take advantage of some of the things your community is already doing. When we think about program resources, we've already talked about what training requirements are required, um, establishing a budget. You have to figure out the timeline for the year. We talked a little bit about that. We talked about partnerships and people with like-minded goals and objectives. Um, and we talked about partnerships who can help you evaluate. The reason I put that in is because if you're going to do a major uh, ministry, and you want to measure improvement with your um, health ministry um, lifestyle change program, you may want to bring specialists in from the community to do your measurements for you, your evaluation, if you will, for you. So you might have a local lab come and draw your bloods and give you those results. You might have um, a partnership with a local hospital or a doctor's office or wherever that will help you with validating some of the results so that you know what you're measuring ahead of time and you know what um, parameters are that you'd like to be able to uh, reach. And having professionals who can come in and work beside you develop what these evaluations might be ahead of time would be good so that you know what you're measuring and you have help getting those measurements done uh, with licensed people. Um, establishing the budget is pretty critical. Most of you have worked with budgets before. You know that revenue is the amount of money that you have or you're going to raise, and that can come through offerings or special gifts or grants or partnerships with in-kind contributions. Um, and we'll talk about grants in a few minutes. And then your expenses are going to be the cost of the program. What does it cost you to train people? What does it cost you to purchase the materials and the program itself? What is the cost of your promotions? What are you going to use for flyers? What's the media? What are the brochures you're going to hand out? All that costs. What are the costs of your teaching tools, the incentives that you'll use at the classes I use every week when they've accomplished a new challenge? We give rewards. What do those incentives cost? If you're going to be doing a cooking school or any kind of demonstration, what are the demonstrations going to cost? Um, and how much will that be? 
uh, your cost of your instructors, what do they require? Maybe they're, maybe they're offering it to you as an in-kind contribution, but maybe you have to pay for the expert to come. That's not a problem if you plan it right. So what's the cost of your speakers and your guest speakers? I would encourage you here to not be afraid to charge people for attending a valid course. Sometimes we want, I work with churches, oh, we don't want to charge people. Well, in America, we value what we pay for, and we also, if we put it on the table, we also show up because we paid for it. So if 60 people sign up and you think they're going to come and you haven't charged them anything, how many people really uh, show up? It's a percentage of 60. It's not usually the 60. It's like 30 will show up because they meant to, but then something better came up, and since they didn't pay for it, they're not uh, accountable to attend. So if you charge people, they've, you register ahead of time, you have that um, commitment, and usually most of them will um, appear. And you determine what that cost needs to be after you've figured out how much you need and how much money you have. What is the cost that doesn't break the bank and prohibit people from coming? But what's the cost that says, I am accountable because I put down $50, and that's a lot of money I need to come. Uh, I need to show up for that. So you determine what the price is. And maybe you determine that you have scholarships for people who can't afford it but want to come. So you figure out that cost. My husband and I used to teach smoking cessation programs. And we would collect, um, I believe it was $250 for the five-day five course, five days to stop smoking. That's a lot of money for a week. But you have people with a heavy addiction problem with smoking and nicotine that required that kind of a commitment. So they put their $250 down, and we went through the whole week and the support afterwards and so forth. And those who were successful, we gave them their $250 back at the end of the class. Now, you can do anything you want with uh, what you do with money. But um, we care about it, and so use it as a tool for um, accountability and for buy-in and for commitment to that cause. I think it's very helpful. Do you have thoughts about that, or is that fairly clear? Did you have a thought? I just want to work from that, that the Mayor of the ID Seminar just expressed a fee. You're sure to have it, I know that, but if it's for free, you don't know. Yeah, yeah. Did you tell them ahead of time you got their money back? No. It was a surprise. It was a blessing, wasn't it? So, no, you don't say, put it down now and I'll give it back to you later. We just, it was their commitment money. It was their commitment money. Uh, develop your time. Yes. Uh, yes, church members are human beings, and um, and we do still charge a fee. What I have done is, um, if they sign up with it before this time, they get a benefit with a reduction of some kind as an incentive to sign up. But I I still charge my church members, and then if you have people who can't afford it, you have to figure out will the church have a small sponsorship. A pool for people who are um, really need help with that, with money. So you consider your calendar, you consider the other ministry conflicts, you consider the availability. All of this you pretty much know when you're setting up your timeline. Um, you're looking at your partnerships and you're considering who can come alongside of you as you put your plan in place. What are the local hospitals and health departments? If Are there Seventh-day Adventist hospitals and professionals that you want to include? And what are the um, local agencies? that you may want to invite to partner with you. So when you're doing this kind of planning, you need to plan way months in advance because these folks also develop their own calendars. And if you're looking for partnerships to come on board with you, professionals to come and help you, 
This is not something you call in two weeks and say, we're doing this, would you come and help us? It's something you do six months out so that people uh, know how to plan and they can start working with you on it. And you can develop your brochures and things with their commitment and, and um, their inclusion. Um, when you're wanting to think about how successful you are, it's about evaluating. And I would say we have some simple tools of evaluating. When we advertise, we see how many people came, and sometimes we report that. And that's good for our marketing capacities. Were we successful in reaching the people we wanted to reach? How many came? How many stayed? How many did we end up with at the end? So attendance is one form of marketing or one form of measurement. But I hope that you'll really start thinking of measuring for change. What difference did your activity make? And if you don't measure the change in some way, you will never know what all that activity did. So most of us are used to looking at what's a baseline factor. Where are people from the get-go? And what are those measurements that determine that baseline measurement? Are you going to be looking at their blood pressure? Will you be weighing them? Will you be looking at the BMI? What will you be looking at? Their level of activity, their level of strength? What will you measure? And those are the baseline uh, details that you take in the very beginning. And then you may measure throughout. You may measure weekly. Or you may measure at the end, certainly. And then you have to take care of that information so that you can compare and contrast as to where they were and where they are. Um, those are the ways you measure success. That's the way that you're going to be able to include others and perhaps get new grants to help you. And then you want to evaluate as a team, how did we function together well? What worked well? What didn't work well? What do we want to do next time that we need to do more forcefully um, and more cohesively? So you've got several different types of evaluation. One is with the attendees and the actual, actual outcomes of your classes that are lifestyle change. And the other is the whole process of how the ministry got this thing rolling and um, what the outcomes were that were successful for you. In terms of resource examples, we've got a whole plethora of them out here. This is Florida Hospital's Healthy 100 website. Um, they are trying to develop a network of churches. So if you go to healthy100.org, you'll be able to click on here. There are recipes on here. There are all kinds of activities and comments and thoughts about the Creation Health Program um, and many other little tidbits that will help you as you develop your health ministry. Um, so that's one of your resources. Um, this is the Creation Health Program, and you've seen that here probably at the Health Summit. I think it's a very good beginning program on what does it mean to be whole. It talks about choices, rest, the environment we live in, our activity levels, our trust in God, our interpersonal relationships, our outlook and nutrition. And it gives people a very broad overview of where they are in their journey towards wholeness. Um, so that is one way to get started. I think it is an excellent program to invite the community to or to work with. Our people need to know it too. You know, we have people in our church who, um, whose relatives don't speak to them or whose children are estranged or their outlook is very negative or very critical. Um, maybe they're extreme on their nutritional levels, uh, you know? So our people need this too in terms of what is a balanced and whole life. But this program is very friendly to the community without any extreme unction. It gets them started. It has a host of self-assessments in their workbook. And it's a friendly approach with, uh, with uh, DVDs, 
uh, by experts and group activities, group support activities, I think is an excellent way to begin a health ministry. Of course, you know uh, Dr. Uh, Don Hall and WellSource. WellSource has a host of user-friendly resources for churches, among them the self-assessments we talked about, a host of programs that come with DVDs and other measurement tools. I've used Fitness for Life for years of helping people learn how to get started exercising safely so they don't injure themselves and, and so forth. And that includes, of course, exercise and nutrition. The interesting thing about getting fit is it's both. It's diet and activity. Most people won't give you their time for two separate programs. They just don't have it. Fitness for Life is a program that includes both. So you come to that two-hour program, you learn how to exercise safely, you have group support, and you get the nutritional inclusion along with it so that people get both as they go through that class. But he has um, all kinds of PowerPoints for your health nuggets that you can download right from the screen, all kinds of recent research, um, PowerPoint slides I think I mentioned. I think he's a great source for all health ministries. This book is called Forgive to Live. It's a program um, that was designed by Dr. Dick Tibbetts. And we often say, well, you need to forgive. You need to forgive. And we never talk about the process of how people work through their lives to reframe them so they can come to peace with a resolution and move on. This book comes with a, a textbook for small groups as well as a workbook. And week by week by week, you can take people through in a small group setting or a large group setting the process of forgiveness. And people have found this to be very helpful um, with their either their Sabbath school programs or small group programs or Wednesday night meetings or others that they have. I think it's a wonderful, wonderful approach. He has used it in the prisons here um, in Orlando. And when the people finished this class, the, the, the prisoners, they were young boys and in trouble. And uh, they had to tell their story of what happened to them as a result of taking this class. And they would stand up, these big big guys, and weep over telling the story of what happened to them through this class on forgiveness. So you can think about this in terms of what ways would you use it out in the community. Dr. Nedley, of course, has his Depression the Way Out course, which is really a mental health education course, not a depression course. The mental health education course on lifestyle that produces brain health and healthy behavior. So uh, that's a wonderful program. He's just written a new um, book called uh, the Lost Art of Thinking, I was thinking, I can't remember it, but The Lost Art of Thinking. He also has Proof Positive as a book and, and a PowerPoint uh, uh, cassette, or a, what do you call them, PowerPoint um, CD, uh, where he's produced all of the talks for topic presentations, and he's got all the PowerPoint slides, and they're all well-referenced with research. You can buy those and use those yourself. You don't have to come up with a program for a topic. You can, he's got all the slides there, he's got all the content there. If you're a teacher or a presenter, that's a nice way to get started. He has a wonderful website uh, that you can get more information on. And of course, you know the CHIP program. It's well known for uh, coronary health improvement, and uh, uh, you can sign up and go to the classes, learn how to teach, and then begin that for your community as well. Um, the Full Plate Diet is a new, uh, I think it came out a year or two ago. It's a wonderful dietary program teaching people to eat whole foods and, and complex carbs. Um, and so they have an online training system, and, and you can uh, use that for your community as well, helping people learn how to eat. Um, this is Lifestyle Matters. You know uh, their courses are excellent as well, full of um, 
information and helpful hints about eating properly, making better choices, living in balance um, in our lives. And there's more, you know, there's more. I could go on and on. These are the websites that are very typical for you, um, that have um, excellent resources and information for you that are standardized. You have them there on your slides. Um, here's some more that are um, national. You have the American Heart Association, the Diabetes Cancer Association, Breast Cancer Sites, um, American Dietetic Sites, um, the CDC, the FDA, NHLBI has a lot of information on blood pressure um, guidelines for helping people with um, healthy lifestyles that affect lowering their blood pressure and so forth. So these are there to help you. Visit them. Understand what you can glean from them. It's all part of their work to help us live a better life. And these are the Adventist websites for health. So look at the top. It's nadhealthministries.org. That's our commitment to be putting on more and more information for you and resources that you can access. Healthylifeinfo.com is wonderful. You can look up any topic you want, and they have information. So when you talk about making bulletin inserts or having small nuggets, these sites have these pieces for you to, gl to glean evidence-based information. You've got the um, Adventist Dietetics Association there. You've got WellSource. Um, and then some of those other websites are listed there, too, that I just talked about their, um, their content. Um, AdventistRecovery.org, we have a lot of people suffering with their addictions and their addictive behaviors. And so that is another great site where we can learn how to help people recover from their, um, their choices that they've made that have now become part of their health. Um, when you're thinking about the legal aspects, you need to be concerned or you need to be mindful, let's say. You have um, Adventist Risk Management that gives you a lot of details, and I, I copied some of them off here in terms of um, how you protect your church in terms of uh, the public coming in. So your church already knows these. You've already been working on these. You already have a safe environment. So that's not going to be a problem. The other issues then will be, I don't have it for a handout because you can go to the Adventist Risk Management and download it. Um, Adventist, it's part of the um, North American Division, Adventist Risk Management, and they have all these guidelines for you printed. Uh, we also have, as a part of health ministries, because we know you're going to be doing all kinds of assessments and working with the public, we are just now ready to publish the Adventist Health Ministry guidelines on assessments. So when you go to our website, look under resources, and you will be able to download the guidelines of how you are to safely engage people for lifestyle change and doing their assessments. Um, from my standpoint uh, and from what I know about nursing, and the licensure here in Florida, we do not, under our normal nursing license, we are not able to do any invasive procedures. We can when we're working in a hospital. We can when we're working in a clinic under a doctor's supervision or under another entity's um, license. But when we work out in our own territory, out in the community, we are primary nursing, which is essentially education and assessment and conversation with people uh, for health counseling. It's advocacy, it's referral, it's that that we can do. So please be mindful if you decide you're going to set yourself up and um, check everybody's blood sugar, if you're going to set yourself up to draw blood and do these things, you need to be able to bring another entity on your site and it's under their licensure that they would draw those things and, and have that invasive activity. 
you will see a lot of well-meaning nurses who do not know where their level, where their boundaries end in terms of invasive procedures. So that's why we have health ministry um, <coughs> guidelines for you, so that you won't be placing the nurse at risk, or the people that you're working with, or your church. Did you have a thought? The glucose check would be um, concerning. The taking of the blood pressure is not invasive. If you have nurses who are able to do that, that's an, uh, a non-invasive assessment. Um, having a weight is non-invasive. The only thing that you have to be thinking about is confidentiality. Uh -huh. Yes. Yes, exactly. And in your processing at health ministry, what you have to do is plan for not just what you're doing, but what you're going to do with the outliers, the people who are in trouble. And there's an equal process of what do we do with people who are dangerously high, and how do we take care of them, and how do we um, have them sign a form that says, I'm not going to do what you told me um, because I'm making that choice not to go to the hospital, and you keep yourself safe by having them sign that, that you told them that they needed to go? Or at what place do you call 911 that they get help? Yeah, there will be. Yeah, they're on the web. I was told soon that those are the guidelines that'll be there. But I, that's the part of planning. If you're going to assess people, it's just not doing the assessment. It's what do you do followed up after I have the assessment with people who are in danger? That's right. And um, is safe to screen with um, under primary health conditions, or if we want to go further, who are the partners that need to come on the, the campus to take care of that so that we're not legally in trouble or we don't put ourselves at risk? And that's great because we have partners who can do that for us. Yes. Exactly. And that's why you bring the experts on, like yourself, um, who are going to follow up. Um, and, and you have to have those plans in place. You have to know that. We are not advice givers unless we're legally uh, and licensed uh, to do that. But we can give out evidence-based information. We just need to know that we're working with a sea of people and where are the referrals that come after that. I'll give you just one example, and then I think I need to give um, the floor over to Don, who's here. Um, we had a, a grant in this area from an organization. This was not a church organization, but it was an organization um, that was going to work with a certain ethnicity. And this, eth uh, this group um, was a, a group for Hispanic individuals in our area. They are beset uh, primarily with hypertension. And so this grant was given to this organization to assess um, Hispanics in the area for hypertension high blood pressure. So they, they got this large amount of money for three years. And um, I met the um, director and I said, so how do, is the grant going? She said, oh, it was great. We, we uh, assessed 500 people. And um, 
I said, oh, that's wonderful, 500 people. What did you do with those that had uh, problems? And she said, well, we um, told them to go to their doctor if they had problems. And I said, well, how many people had? Well, she said, that's the problem. Not many of them had doctors. You know, they don't have their own primary physician. So I said, well, then what did you do when they don't have primary? She said, well, we sent them to the emergency room. Now, why I tell that story is um, that is not a good option because our, our, um, our emergency rooms are there for emergencies, but the idea is how are you gonna follow up people once you know they're in trouble? And where are the free clinics that are gonna help them with an ongoing relationship? How do you get them assigned to a primary care physician? Or what is the clinical follow-up that's necessary so that they can get the necessary medications? And what if they don't go to the ER? You know, So those are the steps that didn't get planned in her grant. And I think that it's almost unethical to evaluate people if you don't have a plan to follow up with them and take care of them. So please put that into your mind in terms of why you're doing these things, what's going to happen when you do them, and how do you follow people then who have problems? Did you know, I think, that of referrals made, 90% are not acted upon? So who's going to walk beside these folks to be sure that their referral was followed? And, and what happened? Now, everyone makes their own choices if they're going to follow through or not. So you can't you know, make everybody do a certain thing. But we need to care enough that we've given enough time to try to shepherd and to try to encourage people. This is the um, NAD Health Ministries website. And when you go there, you'll notice there's a faith community nursing bar. There's health news. Resources are there. There's the newsletter there. This you can utilize, and we're looking for it to become much more active and very user-friendly for you. And here's, again, the health screening guidelines follow-up will be with nadhealthministries.org under resources. So you'll see that soon. Uh, let's see. We talked about health risk assessments. Um, comprehensive health risk assessments. We talked about follow-up labs. Confidentiality issues are important. Because your church is not a medical provider or a healthcare provider, you don't necessarily have to be concerned about the HIPAA regulations. I called Medicare and I said, what about churches that are doing healthcare? She says, do you have a, a provider number? And I said, no, I don't have a provider number. She says, then this doesn't apply to you. HIPAA doesn't apply to you. So what I want to tell you is, while HIPAA may not apply to you, confidentiality does. And that's where your healthcare professionals on your team can help assure that the information you're getting from a comprehensive health risk appraisal is kept confidential. And they know how to handle that detail. That's very important. I, again, I would encourage you to have a faith community nurse if you're going to be doing anything as, as a comprehensive health risk appraisal, keeping that data, following up on the data, and working with people over time. We just talked about some of the legal considerations. And um, essentially, when you go to AdventistRisk.org, they give you a host of issues for your church that you're already aware of um, in terms of having a safe plant. So it's all there at um, AdventistRisk.org. Grants and funding sources, I will just tell you quickly. If you're interested in grants, think local first. If you don't have any experience in working with grants, think local and think about getting started small. When you take money from an organization, there are expectations of how you're going to work. And if you don't have the discipline or the experience of working with grants and expectations, it can be overwhelming because they will give you guidelines that you must meet in order to take that money. And if you don't have a seasoned team, 
it can be very frustrating for you. So start locally with local foundations, local philanthropic individuals, local people who want to contribute to you is far easier to have a grant from them than it is if you go to the nationals and the feds. They're very complicated to write. Many grants take six months um, to, to really write and develop because you have to do your work. Um, smaller grants, uh, not quite as much research and so forth. Um, I would ask for partners to help me if I were doing a grant. Oftentimes people want to give to an organization that has experience in taking and handling money for issues. If my church is not known, I would rather have my local hospital be a co-partner with me on a grant and they go forward to get the grant because they have credibility. My little church may not have the credibility to get the grant. So you choose your partners with like-minded values and goals and you choose them with credibility and if I would be dismissed from the grant because I don't have, uh, I'm not known, I go with someone who is known, I'm going to get the money anyway because we're partners. But they have more of a chance of getting it granted. Um, take a grant writing course. And if you use people who write grants, I would also ask how many grants have you written but how many have you gotten? Because it's not so much that you could write it. It's about how many have you been successful. And I think all of these are on your um, grid as well. So that is essentially concluding my talk, and I've been blessed to um, help you. I hope that I'll be hearing from you and that we can work together in the future. God bless you. This media was produced by Audioverse for the NAD Health Summit. If you would like to learn more about the NAD Health Summit, please visit www.nadhealthsummit.com. Or, if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.